You're listening to Power in Practice, practical talk for living in a structured lifestyle. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Power in Practice, take two. We uh, did this for about three hours, and sadly, that's all gone now, um, about 10 minutes or so. So um, we're going to sound a lot more confident this time around. I'm Soul Hunter. I'm here with Daddy David and James Archer. Um, James is new to our panel, but we were here sort of brainstorming on a, um, a project that we're not going to get into a ton of detail about, but um, what it meant was we were sort of here working on hypnosis and, and NLP and, and a bunch of related topics, and it seemed like a good opportunity to drag out the recorders and grab a power and practice episode with a new voice. And on a topic we, we know people are interested in, um, though I don't know that hypnosis play has really hit what I would think of as as sort of the tipping point between an edge play that, that very few people do and then the sort of thing that everybody claims to be an expert in. Um, you know how like, like bull whips went through that, and, you know, after a while everybody's doing it, right? So I think we're at a point where there's a lot of interest and not a ton of information. So um, I figured we'd talk about that for a little bit, right? Yes, hypnosis is the new black. Hi, this is Daddy David. Good to be back again talking with you. And like Soul Hunter said, we have a, a new voice among us tonight, um, James Archer, who has been contributing a lot of his expertise and, and his natural gift for being able to make your mind do what he wants. <laughs> so by way of introduction, uh, James, why don't you say hi? Hello, and thank you both for having me. Uh, my name is James Archer. Uh, just to give you all a little bit of background on me, uh, I've studied clinical hypnosis, stage hypnosis, uh, neurolinguistic programming, conversational hypnosis uh, for a number of different areas. Uh, one is I've just a fascination with its role in DS. Also, in I'm very practiced in the seduction communities and run a seduction coaching company for women called uh, Sirens or uh, SeductionSirens.com. If anyone's interested in checking it out. But uh, we had started looking at, and again, we don't want to get too into the new project, of other potential kind of ways to use this. Uh, and it kept coming around to DS, just giving everyone's background with it. And uh, we wanted to take a minute just, just sort of discuss some of, the, uh, some of the, the disconnect that you hear out there between what is possible with you know, erotic hypnosis and an S&M or uh, DS kind of scenario, and what is not, and what are some of the uses that other people haven't quite thought of yet where it has it could have a tremendous amount of impact so as as we went through i don't know honestly maybe 10 or 15 minutes of discussion but before this and then we we were restarting it occurred to me that the the track that we were sort of running on um we were using some terms that maybe maybe we might want to take a couple minutes at the beginning and talk about terminology as a way to sort of get into the material so you know if we could if I could ask one of you guys to you know let's talk about the word you hear all the time which is you know trance and I know as I've been exploring NLP and hypnosis I've heard people describe trance as everything from something that we all do 
you know, tens and hundreds of times a day as our attention focuses in on something or, or as we disconnect from parts of um, things we do all the time. And then I've heard other people describe, you know, trances as a sort of, you know, seriously heavy state of mind where people are almost totally disconnected. Now, obviously, that same word can apply to a, mm-hmm. a bunch of it, but how would, you know, how would you guys sort of explain trance in a short period of time so that the audience can have an idea where we're coming from on that? Well, I think everyone has different definitions. Every book you read, everyone's got their own opinion on it. The definition that's always worked for me is that trance is any state where someone is over-focused on one stimulus to the exclusion of others. Uh, when you're driving and you're kind of paying more attention to the road, not necessarily the sound around you. That's a form of trance. Uh, the There are certain types of trance that are more beneficial. Usually in hypnosis, you're looking for states like somnambulism or what's often referred to as process state, where what is the critical factors or the, the parts of your consciousness that just sort of keep ideas from going in, that will sort of reject an idea without possibly considering it, are compressed so that... Uh, People are more suggestible that uh, when words come at them, their mind doesn't instantly reject it. That pretty much covers a lot of it. Um, I always feel that trance is a natural phenomenon. It does occur to everybody at some point or another. And if you've ever been in a supermarket pushing your carriage and the person in front of you has got their carriage and they just stop in the middle of the aisle for no reason at all and stare off into space, that is a good sign that they've just entered a state of trance. Now, I think trance is is something that can be utilized. It's, it's a natural occurrence like a burp or a sneeze, and when it happens or if you can make it happen, it is something that can be capitalized on. You just hijack their their. I don't want to say thought process really, but but basically what's happening is that that they kind of just go on hold for a second. It's a it's when you go inside, and that can be used as the foot in the door. And it's it's actually the part where suggestions, the time where suggestions can become the most effective. One of the things that I've I've always kind of come to believe about people when they go into a suggestible state in trance and the type of trance we're talking about is that it's it allows people to consider things without any prejudgment or pre-knowledge of it. Even if it's something they've experienced before, there are millions of ideas you're barraged with every day. If someone says, hey, let's jump off the bridge or rob a bank, your mind is in, you don't need to think about it to know it's a bad idea. Your mind will instantly reject it. When someone is in trance, you can give them a suggestion like that. It doesn't mean that someone is actually going to do it and that they're just going to follow any command that's given to them. But it does mean that they will consider it. They will actually have to stop and think the process through on a more subconscious level to see if it is a good or bad idea for them. Okay. I like it. So now, so I think the, the thing that we agree on is that one of the sort of primary useful qualities of a trance state is this ability to make suggestion or present an idea that may, under other circumstances, meet with resistance or prejudgment or not actually being considered and you can actually you can actually get through uh, in a way that you might not otherwise now in a ds context um as we talked about before you see people using that a lot for fast effects immediate effects um you know they'll 
they may anchor something. They may put in a, you know, the classic post-hypnotic suggestion terminology where, you know, everything from instant orgasm to arousal dials or whatever it is they're doing. And I can absolutely see the power and interest of that. And, and I think we should talk about those possibilities a little bit. But let's put that aside because it's pretty common right now. And what would be, like, what are some of the other applications of being able to suggest possibilities to someone? So, for instance, where would that intersect with, you know, the classic dominant submission um, training paradigm where, you know, I want someone to act in a particular way. I want to modify their behavior. Does this help me short circuit the normal punishment reward? I, I think it's another tool that you can use. I mean, you're not really overwhelming somebody with with hypnotic suggestions to get them to do what you want because if you're in a, a DS dynamic already, that should already be part of your structure. So you have a submissive who is following your lead and, and in your control to whatever degree that, that, that your structure dictates. So... I don't think that's necessarily an important part to have to to be able to sneak commands in if you already have compliance and obedience as part of your structure. However, it's a tool, and and as any tool, uh, it can definitely come in handy with certain types of training if you hit a sticking point. If there's something that um, you want to ritualize or if there's a certain kind of reward or punishment that you want to bring in that's that that may be more subtle you can definitely use that as a as a training lever i tend to agree that it should not be the only tool that someone i mean i guess someone could in theory use it as the only tool but i tend to think that there are a lot of ways uh to get to get things done it's and it's looking for the right way one of the things that makes hypnosis beneficial is that when you're bypassing the critical factors and you're kind of installing behaviors almost in someone it gives you a very instant reward so rather than um a very long process of breaking a habit in someone it will instantly alter the habit habit in them and the new habit will not be something they have to think about or a behavior they have to learn. It is as habitual as the old habit that it just replaced. So that's one possible time that it comes up. Uh, another time is hypnosis is very good at bypassing resistance, like you were saying. So when you have someone who is conflicted, uh, part of them, most of them wants to do something very much. They want to follow your lead. Uh, but they, there's another part of where it has a strong emotional response. It's a way to sort of get around the discomfort of that emotional response and sort of shut down that emotional response is another time that it's a very handy tool. Um, it sort of helps people to do what they wanted to do initially. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I mean, obviously I think it's, it would be the wrong, well, I was going to say it would be the wrong, but I don't really believe that. But, <laughs> um, for the purposes of this recording, it would be the wrong tool to use, I would think, in, in most DS relationships to take the place of what what I want to call, you know, active compliance, right? So if someone didn't want to do something you wanted them to do, I wouldn't use hypnosis to get them to do it because 
I I need to address, or I wouldn't be be happy until I had addressed sort of the source of the rebellion. So in that case, I'm not necessarily as concerned as the actual effect of them doing what I want them to do, as I I want to know why they're not trying to do what I want them to do, right? But I can think of a whole other line of things that I know I I prefer from people under me where it's not even really a matter of willful compliance. It's, you know, definitely a habit. You know, I'm trying to, I want to create a habit. I want to create a reflexive reaction. I want to, you know, and these are things that, you know, if you go back and, and read my old posts on, on training, you know, it's, they're all geared towards creating a reflex in someone and there are people who will genuinely want to have the reflex installed. They're, you're pushing, they're pulling, the cart's going in the right direction, but what does and doesn't become a reflex without these tools is, is a little more hit and miss than, you know, or it's more of an onerous process than maybe well, it has I, to be. I think you hit it on the head when you said that if they want to do it and and... You want to push that to the point of reflex. Um, if if this is something that they want to do, but there's that moment of hesitation, uh, an almost irresistible moment of hesitation to drop to your knees when you give that command. I mean, they'll they'll go down, but they're just not going down quite as fast as, as the snap of your finger. I think that kind of conditioning can be trained in using suggestion and and some hypnotic techniques, but. The thing is that they, they're they motivated by wanting to have that happen too, and they're just not understanding why it's not. There's some interference that's, that's causing that split-second delay. So if that's something that you want to work on, get over that split-second delay, you might be able to use hypnotic techniques for that. One of the other similar scenarios that I've personally come across is where you have someone who wants to do something, there is a small amount of internal conflict in them that brings up a strong emotional response. And like you said, normally you would want to get to the source of where the resistance was coming from. In this case, the person was particularly cognitively aware of what was causing the resistance, why they were having this emotional discomfort around whatever the action was. Uh, it, hypnosis proved to be a very handy tool in sort of helping them through the emotional discomfort and uh, getting them around the, you know, that sort of snap anger, resistance, those kind of things that come up, the defiance, even though, you know, on a cognitive level, this person might not want that. It was just a, it was a subconscious emotion that boils up at this right. particular moment. And hypnosis can be a great way to sort of get around that. And when you get in, when you hit a sticking point like that, and usually when you get in that kind of emotional realm, you're kind of beyond just your standard sticking point. You're dealing with something that is, is very hard to bypass through other means, I found. Um, and that you know a more traditional kind of Pavlovian punishment and reward kind of scenario you can oftentimes you're just building resistance into something you're almost strengthening the resistance with it uh, and using hypnosis it gives you a very easy key to sort of bypass that would you agree with that yes either hypnosis or other indirect but but similar related tools like anchoring you could you could possibly bypass that for a certain amount of time. You could also work on things that, let's say, um, there, are, there are people who have a gag reflex that comes up really easily. 
I know dentists have problems with patients with gag reflex, just being able to either get them to brush their own teeth or, or getting the tools in their mouth. So it's a problem. And there's a way that you can use hypnotic techniques to train a person to overcome that that reflex. It'll, it'll take some time, but it, it, you can do that. So it, by using that as an example, even though you're not necessarily going to their root cause of whatever it is that made them gag the first time, you could use a hypnotic process to train them out of it. Yeah, well, and I want I want to be clear that I when I say like to me, I wouldn't necessarily want to use this tool to to overcome resistance until I I dealt with it. I'm not really talking about it in a a warm fuzzy psychological way, like. Like, I don't really care what the root cause is. Right. It's a purely practical thing about my fetish and my definition of victory, right? So it would be great fun for a weekend or a week or an evening to use an NLP or hypnosis tool to, you know, get someone to respond positively to an action or install a fetish if they didn't have one. or You know, all that stuff is cool, but in a longer term, I wouldn't actually feel like I had won until not using any of that I had that that they were you know proactively offering to do until the resistance had been bypassed yeah like I, I, yeah and not so I I really enjoyed the idea of you know somebody acting nice but screaming inside you know like I, I'm with it you know force the activity <laughs> or or bypass the resistance and have them wonder five hours later like why the fuck that seemed like a good idea like so i don't want to i don't want to moralize about it right like i'm on it it's just in the longer term i would i would almost feel like i had in a long-term relationship i wouldn't feel like i had won in its totality until i had like the compliance fair and square like does that make sense sure Actually, it was interesting as we were talking about it, I was reminded of how Flag used to talk about the sort of the different shades between fear, dread, and terror. And how, you know, I think, you know, we were, we were talking about it like, okay, it's a good tool for bypassing terror where someone is shutting down in the face of something that they, they probably do want to go through with, but it's like a phobia. It's, it's an automated response. Um, when you're dealing with uh, fear and dread, those kind of things that still leave people the ability to cognitively function, uh, I think it oftentimes can be a lot more fun to break it cognitively, to play with it cognitively, uh, and and deal with it in, like we were talking about before, a more Pavlovian kind of sense of punishment, reward, and really just sort of, rather than eliciting compliance, uh, coercing it right. is sometimes a, a, a very fun activity. And people respond very uniquely to suggestions and hypnosis so what what would work one day or, or even with the same person might not necessarily work the same way for a variation of whatever it is that you wanted them to do so it, it, a lot of it depends on their responsiveness their their own personality makeup um, how well you can articulate what it is that you want to be able to to have that kind of victory dependably. So sort of sort of before we move on to 
and I have a you know the next vocabulary term in mind if, if you don't mind me sort of weeding it that way but so if you know we're talking about trances as a good way to sort of bypass some of the you know the the sort of mental spam filters that might be keeping people from really hearing what it is you're trying to get through in the sense of that idea of you know a, a reflexive Mm -hmm. negative response to an idea or or thought on one on one level so one level it's just a way to get the crap out of the way and and sort of communicate an idea and then sharpening that down to a point you're you would communicate an idea so powerfully or in such a way that you're creating a reflex or replacing an old reflex or actually altering behavior right so that being so, if that's one of the, the obviously the big uses for trance, and we could spend forever talking about cool things you can do to people once you can install a reflex in them, right? Um, and we will sometime. <laughs> but to jump away from that, because that's that's definitely sort of, again, that brings up that idea of, you know, I put someone in a trance, I, I install a reflex or I make a suggestion or I alter the way they feel about something and then I can play with that. Um, but a totally different sort of seeming concept in what we were talking about is whenever you're talking about hypnosis and, and or more specifically when you're talking about NLP concepts, this topic of reframing and, and framing comes into mind. And let's talk about that for a moment. So this idea that if hypnotic trance is sort of a, like I think of it as a tactical move, right? Like I put you in a trance, I do something. And even if I'm stringing a series of trances together, the, the trances themselves, fairly well-defined phenomena, I tend to think of, of frame control as a, like a longer term thing right like whereas i think of a trance as something i do to you mm -hmm. i tend to think controlling and i'm going to have you guys define frame right. control and frames but i tend to think of controlling the frame of an interaction as more of a more strategic or more creating an environment that's useful to me absolutely i tend to think of frame control or frames which we'll get in the definition is in a second as something that exists somewhere in between hypnosis or altered states and non-altered states uh, that it is, th there are many ways to control a frame, there are many ways to capture a frame and hold it, many ways to assert your own frame, some of which come from, you know, grounded in just the physical world, how we carry ourselves. Some of it goes to how we speak and more suggestion, hypnosis kinds of things. Um, do you want to take a second to introduce the concept of frames or do you want me to run with it? Go ahead. Uh, frames are a concept from NLP or Neuro Linguistic Programming that are, it's basically the concept that when two people meet to have any discussion, each one comes with certain preconceptions and prejudgments and a sort of overall picture in their head of the way the conversation is supposed to go. I think the easiest examples to illustrate it you see are in politics a lot where, um, you know, the question will come up of, of, you know, there's going to be a political debate. Is the question, you know, one person is a security person and wants to talk about, you know, foreign affairs, the other person who wants to talk about social welfare and, and the economy. Uh, 
the one who has the stronger frame will ultimately make the conversation about their subject. That they'll make it, that that is the debate. That's the thing that people want to hear about, and they people want to hear the two, you know, participants sort of competing answers in it. And what it looks like in in DS, I think a lot more is two people have a picture in their head of what power exchange is. Uh, some those pictures are never quite perfectly aligned, and the person with the stronger frame will usually their frame will be asserted onto the other person. The other person will be absorbed into their frame. Uh, does that kind of articulate it pretty well? Yes, it does. And I think one of the one of the the built-in um, advantages of having a structured DS relationship is that in in most cases, and it is my view as it should be, um, the person who um, is in charge of that relationship, the person who's leading that relationship, the person that's driving that relationship, is the person who also has control of that frame. And all subordinates from that point on are following that frame. Well, see, you know, and I, I think using that terminology to jump into... You know, in past episodes, we've, and certainly the community is endlessly awash in discussion of, you know, the pros and cons of things like contracts and checklists and cowering rituals and, and these things. And from a certain point of view, you can look at all those things as trying to put to bed battles for frame control. You know, once they've signed the contract... Right. I spelled out my frame. They agreed mm -hmm. to the frame. We all agreed to the... So now we can move on into the sunset completely aligned in our goal and vision, you know? Well, and those things are sometimes not used as signs of a frame agreement or a strong frame. They're used in place of creating one. Now, sometimes it's a tool to create one, right? We, like... We know people who, you know, I know subs who don't feel like they're really under someone's authority until they've signed a contract, for instance. You know, that's, to them, that's the, the ritual and the key that makes the final flip for them. It's not just a symbol of acceptance. It's a tool to create. They don't think of it that way, but in their own mind, right. that makes it real in a way. Either the contract works. or the snapping of that lock on the collar. Right. But actually, they've been following the frame all along to even get to that point. Right. Absolutely. But I've, I've absolutely seen, you know, and, and to do the devil's advocate caddy thing again for a second. <laughs> I mean, we've all seen dominants who come, you know, they, they'll come up to the group of or the community of doms or, or the community at large and they'll go, you know, I just cowered, you know, Betty and... You're like, awesome, what does that mean? And his description of what it means to cower her has no connection to what he was talking about cowering someone meant to him like six months ago and is in complete alignment with her idea that, you know, his job is to provide for her, caretake for her, make sure she's never uncomfortable and hurt and, you know, I am the most precious jewel in your existence and you will take care of me and thus I will continue to be pretty 
and do things you want me to do as long as they never cause me any stress. And now somebody lost the battle for the frame, right? <laughs> Whether they think they did or not, I don't know what to tell them. <laughs> but, <laughs> but somebody lost, and it wasn't the dude on top, you know? One of the things that's, I think, really interesting about frame control in DS is, in theory, you're right. The frame should be set simply by nature of it is there is an agreement amongst people that one person is dominant. Uh, but it's always amazing to me how, even despite that, there, there's that agreement there, how often you do see people who will go wrong with it. And someone will, you know, you wind up with someone who has agreed to sort of sublimate their own agenda to someone else, but is very much asserting their own agenda and very much in charge of the dynamic that goes on. And I think that's where the real battle of frame control happens. That once you, that, well, I guess frame control is going to, it's not one battle. It's many little battles that go on. And Yes, you have an agreement. There is power exchange. One person is supposed to be dominant. One person is supposed to be submissive. But it's still, you know, what is the scope of that? What is the authority? Where do the real, you know, balance points of power hang? Those are the little battles, I think, where frames and frame control really come into play. That the larger frame is already set by being in a DS context. It's in those little moments that uh, that really sort of make it. So I think that people do have to sort of think of it as... Uh, a smaller tool, something that is is good for little tactical decisions, uh, to defend the larger frame, which is the larger kind of strategy, if you will. Now, what I always found interesting, ever since I learned the terminology of, of frames of frame control, and and let's take it to a more practical aspect, just real quick, because I'm curious about your your thoughts on it. Whereas, the more overt. Um, sort of signs of, of authority and power have kind of a delay in them from the beginning of an interaction, right? So, you know, Dom A meets Sub B at event. The thing is, is he can start controlling the framework and the frame of that interaction from moment one. Yes. And, and in fact, probably should. We've talked endlessly about it, and I'm not going to get into it again, but once again, it's like there's a whole set of community, BDSM community standards that seem entirely geared towards, as a defense mechanism, against exactly that reality. Absolutely. You know, it's, you know, you're not supposed to, you know, invade anyone's personal space, you're not supposed to act in a dominant manner, you're not supposed to be intimidating, you're not supposed to... You know, speak in a manner that assumes their compliance. You know, that whole, like, you're not my dom thing. And while all that, to some degree, is very useful, what I find awesome about it is... And again, when we're talking about frame control, I can... I can you can see everything in DS through that lens, and it's obviously not the only way to see it. It's just the way we're talking about it. But if all that stuff is sort of intended as a defense mechanism that's been evolved by the the herd of submissives to prevent the predator doms from calling them out until they're ready, you know, to, um, it turns out none of that really matters, right? Like you can, you can put an arbitrary set of rules on the interaction, what's polite and not polite, but in the end, the dominants who are, are get whispered about <coughs> after the event is over, we're still like managing to assert that mm -hmm. that frame, despite the obstacles put in their way. Well, well, first of all, I'd like to <clears throat> be clear about a distinction 
between managing frames and having boundaries. Okay. And in a social milieu, there are a certain amount of boundaries, personal boundaries, group boundaries, uh, if you want to call them rules or codes of behavior, whatnot. Everyone's got them wherever you go. So without stomping on, on boundaries and still maintaining personal decorum, one can still have a strong frame come in and without breaking any rules um, necessarily or invading one space or, or whatever, <clears throat> you can still project that frame and it may overwhelm others that are going on simultaneously in that room. It may dominate all other frames going on in that room and by so doing attract the most attention. Now, some people may be threatened by that power. Some people may be attracted to that. It depends on who's looking. Another distinction I think is important is the distinction between holding a dominant frame and being dominant and asserting dominance over someone else. I think it's entirely possible for that first round of kind of the frame game to be won simply by a dominant not being able to be swayed. If a submissive is coming up with certain requests and they're like, no, I'm not into that. This is what I do. This is how I do it. If you're interested in doing something with me, this is what I require of you. Uh, doesn't violate any social rules. You right. haven't forced anyone to do anything. You haven't, you know, you are still getting an agreement on them, but you are not going to compromise on anything until you have, until they have agreed to comply to your particular rule set frame, whatever you want to call it. Now let's 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 dive just really briefly into that by way of definition. So if, <coughs> let's let's take that interaction, right? So you know, Dom Bob is hanging out by the bar of the event, and you know Judy comes trotting up with her flogger, and is like, you know, hey, I've got a cute ass, you know, you should probably hit it, right? Now Bob. Maybe he's not into flogging. Maybe he just doesn't like flogging on command. Maybe he thinks Judy's got a great ass and he's thinking longer term. But for whatever reason, his response is, you know, that's not that's not what I'm going to do right now. You know, or I'm not I'm not into flogging this evening. I brought my bullwhip. You know, and if you want to spend, you want to play with me tonight, we're going to do the bullwhip thing. Or even it's a conditional thing, like. I'll do, yeah, sure, I'm into that, but when you're playing with me, I expect you to kneel, address me a certain way. Right. And now, what I'm trying to figure out is the, the, the frame that you're talking about there, it would be really easy to confuse it with the specifics of the rule set he's laying down. But the, the frame is not necessarily, I prefer bullwhips instead of floggers. Correct. The frame is my terms or not yes absolutely right you're, you're you're setting the frame for who's requesting what of who who's providing the rare you know who's providing the valuable act you know because most of the time judy comes flouncing up and she believes she has the precious quantity you know i've got a cute ass and i'll let you hit it so the first step in that battle right is flip that flip that so her frame is 
I'm valuable, you should be happy, I'm offering myself to you. And he needs to rewrite that. And usually the part of her request that is challenging his frame is there will be some condition that she will be treated X way through it. You know, I'm not going to bow and scrape. I just want to be flogged. And and his frame is, well, look, this is how I expect you to behave when it's going on. And that's usually where where it comes in. But I think you're right that the... You know, just like flogging, bondage, or any other of the things that come up in, in DS, they are really a t- tool that is a proxy of the frame that says, on my terms, I am the one who is in charge. This is about power exchange, and power exchange is at the core of everything, or should be. Uh, and just because the action seems submissive, someone can, you know, stop and, and come up with such a rigid set of terms, you know, some in theory submissive, can come up with such a rigid set of terms that... Uh, that they will allow the action to go on, they're still the one who is dominant in that situation. And by by getting to sort of the underlying power exchange, which is really what frame, frame control is about, all the other activities are simply a proxy for that battle. That you can see two people doing the exact same activity, but the power exchange might be going entirely the wrong way. And you're right, it is completely separate from the activity itself. Okay. And, and that's what introduces the concept of the reframe. Absolutely. Right. Sure. Because the submissive with the whip says, I will let you hit my ass with this whip. Because she's made the assumption that somebody wants to do that. That that she's a desirable commodity or she's offering a desirable commodity. That form of play on her terms and here, I will allow you to do this. And the reframe to that would be something could be a number of different things. So you can you can be blunt about it. You can be elegant about it. But basically, you want to turn it around. And and turning it around is is the essence of the reframe. It's the same situation looked at from an entirely different perspective. And to turn that around would be something like, what makes you think that that's something that I want to do? Why do I want to do that? Right. And I can give you an example from my own experience, which was I was engaged in a lot of SM activity with someone who had very distinct fantasies of submission, of all these different things, even to the point of power exchange. But when it came to the actual subject of power exchange or referring to her as submissive, slave, anything along those sort of lines, it had a very sort of strong emotional response that this, in her mind, was not, she she wasn't someone's doormat. And which wasn't necessarily the way that I looked at her, but it took a lot of not a lot, but it took some reframing both in regular conversation and in trance to sort of reframe it as, no, I'm not saying that you are beneath the standard of people to me. More like You're more like a beta or you are a tool. You are a falcon that I can train to do things. You are, and I think that was one of Flag's lines, the, of, building, of, of giving this person a purpose and a role that had value to you rather than they were something of no value that you would just treat however you wanted. By them sort of playing this role for you, it did have value to you, but they had to play it in order for them to have value to you. Right. Well, and again, through the through the lens, you see you see these sort of viral frames. You know, these these they're frames that are are so attractive and easily taken that they sort of run through the the community as as axiomatic, as if they are already proven to be true because they're just so attractive. The classic, the, the, to my mind, the one 
I hear more than anything else is, well, actually, it takes more personal strength to be submissive than it does to be dominant, right? And that's, there's this, it, it carries with it such a powerful set of associations that you'll hear it just run, ripple through a community of people because it's that thing. It's, no, you're not less, you're more, mm -hmm. you know, it's, and, and you'll see doms, I, I've known doms who didn't buy it, who still would never challenge that frame openly mm -hmm. on, in the community because it's just too convenient to go, well, no, honey. You know, I mean, the, the clown suit, the kneeling in the mud, the, you know, <laughs> sucking off my friends, that just makes you that much more powerful as a person. Well, when I yeah. hear that, I hear a really good sales pitch that kind of caught on. And I do think there are some people who ultimately buy into it, but you're right. It is a very handy tool to, to sit there and be able to say that. And ultimately, the thing that always I found interesting, if you really look at those kind of reframing objectively, it's usually saying, oh, you have a higher value than... All that value is arbitrary. It's all made up. It's all in our head. Right. There's no no such real thing as it. So when I say, if you behave this way, you have a higher value to me than what is then? What What is X in that equation? Uh, how do you really measure it? It's really just, it's about getting someone around their own resistance. And it is a tool of sales, I guess, if you will. Now, I to be clear, bringing someone into your, your frame, the best frames are true, right? Like... Like, people who do what I want them to do are more valuable to me than people who don't. You know, like, like, and on a, right? On a but the best frames are true because the best frames for you are truth no, to no, you. No, no, I'm not talking about the best in, in an objective sense. I'm saying as someone who is trying to bring someone else into a frame I'm trying to hand them, it is easiest for me to be convincing and consistent about a frame that I actually, that isn't artificial. Right. I find those people more um, valuable to me. So it would be very easy for me to consistently go, no, that makes you valuable to me. It does, you know, I don't, I don't see you as being lesser. I, you become more the focus of my attention. You know, if you want more of my attention and affection, do what I want you to do. It's, it's simple and it's true and it's easy for me to be consistent about it. If I was to try and come up with an arbitrary frame, I would have a hard time pushing it as yeah. easily as I do the others. So when I say best, I just mean... An arbitrary frame, but not necessarily a temporary frame. You can use a temporary frame to apply to a situation okay. to be able to turn around possibly resistance or, or just have somebody think about the same thing in a different way whether it's 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 usually pretty hard to make somebody think the way you think but you can offer them alternatives maybe even metaphorical alternatives so that they can reapply that frame out of where they were the the one that they were holding previously and maybe be more accepting to, to doing what it is that you're trying to get them to do by by getting them to just reframe their approach to that one topic. So you can you can use a reframe temporarily without giving up your core beliefs. Definitely hold on to the core beliefs for you because that's your value system and, and you're building everything 
that you have on your value system. Right. Now, let's let's link these two things together, right? So, it even just going by what we've talked about here, it occurs to me that if one of the things that's important or one of the things that's useful in framing is um, presenting the frame you want to present in a way that isn't resisted by or or gets through the resistance of the frame that maybe is is opposing it and we talked about trances being a good way to communicate ideas to someone passing some of their their resistive mechanisms so how do those things relate together how would you know is is the classic hypnotic trance a tool that you would use you know in this sort of in this sort of Circumstance. I'm not talking absolutely. about going into deep, you know, minute by minute detail of how you would do it. But. Well, absolutely. I think one of the things that's interesting about uh, a trance and hypnosis is it is a way to sort of suspend whatever the competing frame someone is trying to introduce is. So they are open to hearing your frame. And like I said, it doesn't always necessarily mean they're going to they're just going to do it. You can give people suggestion in trance that they will absolutely reject. It just means that they won't reject it based on prejudice what their, their the direction their mind was already going they have to consider it on some level uh, so if you have some someone where the, you know they've got their picture of the way it's supposed to go and they're trying very hard to assert that on you and you are trying very hard to assert your agenda into the the conversation uh, larger conversation that through this sort of classic trance and you know dropping people as we call it uh, you put them in a state where they're their personal agenda of forcing something on you is shut down temporarily so that you can then at least introduce your frame has to be the dominant frame in that moment. That's the one that's being heard. They may still continue to, they still may choose to reject it, but at least they're not trying to talk over it. They're not trying to assert something onto you. Okay. David, how's that? I was thinking about that. I, I think they, that, that reframing can work. First of all, it's all about using language skillfully. And if you can reframe or get somebody else to, to reframe their set position on something so that they'll try it a different way or even try it your way without having to go into trance, that's great. Now, one of the things about the critical faculty, which is, which is the part of the conscious mind that gets suspended in a trance, that, that little sentry that says, oh, no, no, you're not going to fool me. You know, it's always on guard and will will set off a siren when something it, it hears that it doesn't necessarily agree with or like will, you know, just like light up. <clears throat> so if, if, if you encounter a certain stubbornness to even consider a reframe, what you might want to do is to distract that sentry, that critical factor faculty and you can do that by developing a kind of light hypnosis or, or a, a, a small enough trance just to be able to suspend that chattering little voice that says no no, no I'm not gonna do that I'm not gonna do that just shut that up for a second and listen to what I'm saying and then have them go inside in that little trance moment and think about that. And if you're skillful enough, you can be able, you can put in that suggestion just to have them consider it. 
right there you've got a big step from where you just came from where they were where you were just hitting resistance now you got them considering it and you build on that in layers and it doesn't require deep trance it doesn't require putting somebody under and 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 having them just sit there in hypnosis all you've done really is just kind of floated that that century for a second just to be able to get them to reconsider it i'm always reminded of the old conversational trick that a lot of salesmen use which is if someone comes in and you know they're looking at something they make a comment like wow that's nice but that price i don't know you know, a salesman will, or one who's least skilled with NLP and hypnosis will oftentimes use a conversational hypnosis trick of trying to repeat what is the underlying intention of that behavior, what they just said, so that they can then offer a solution that the person might not consider. If they said, oh, at that price, the salesman was like, come on, it's a great product. Why, you know, why don't you just start buying it? Instead, what they'll do is they're like, well, it's important to get good value for your money. Do you use it to you that it just it costs too much for what it's worth or you just don't have the money right now. And then depending on the answer would offer, well, if you don't have the money right now, we have a layaway program. Or if the answer was a, a more value driven thing, it's just cost too much. What if I offered you a 10% discount? Um, it just by understating the underlying intention, it sort of lulls the critical factor enough that a person will allow themselves to sit there and be sold a little bit. Well, you get that. I mean, what's the, the classic and Lord knows I spent enough time in retail pushing <laughs> crap that you know it's in 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 terms of the sort of technologies and understandings we're talking about and that i now know of the crudest conceivable example of any of this is you know you know are you going to buy that now or friday you know like mm -hmm. that classic you know do i put you down for five or ten bob you know and They'll always tell you about that in a sales seminar. They're like, look, you're going to laugh. It's stupid, you know, but I promise you it's going to work. And again, through this lens, what you've done is set up, you've set up a circumstance where the assumption is that there is a purchase on hand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the last vestige of their, you know, and people don't like being forced. So you have to now present them with a face saving option, mm -hmm. you know, and the thing that it took me a couple afternoons to realize was because I went up to one of the older sales guys because I'm a young guy I'm selling Radio Shack you know stereos and I'm like I'm like you know you know do you you gonna buy this you know with the way it is or you know do you want to upgrade the speakers and the dude would be like no what I want to do is swap the turntable you know for like a tape deck and I'm like they're buying shit and I get it but they're not taking either of my suggestions. Like, am I not reading people? And he's like, no, no, you're, you're missing the point. Their last, their last point of ego is that they didn't take either of your suggestions. You know, you know, do you want it in red or blue? And the guy puffs himself up and he's like, yellow or nothing. And, you know, they're turning it around and trying to make a demand on you so that they believe they're in control of the interaction. Meanwhile, the important thing, the thing that mattered, is that they're now buying a car, right? And it doesn't have anything to do, like, I care what color, you know? And I always thought that was fascinating because it's so crude. Well, there, there's an interesting possibility there, which is one of your options in those kind of scenarios is to present people with 
two options, either one are beneficial to you. Uh, in a situation like that where they still just take a third option just so they're not going to walk into your frame of your two options, as long as you've taken away for the option of not buying, it's still a victory. Right. You've still compelled their action and driven it a certain way. And, uh, as, and you know, as long as, as, as long as that third decision isn't, doesn't work counter to your goals, I would still consider that a win. And as crude as it is, it does work. And I would see that as a victory personally. And can you see how this would be a positive application in a DS structured relationship? Oh, absolutely. You know, you present the double bind. It's, it's, it's an illusion of choices that really comes down to what you've offered. And what you're offering is your structure. Right. Your way, your method. Your kink, your your fetish, whatever it now, is. To be interested, to as a as a side comment though, do you see danger in 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 a sales situation? I'm offering red or green. They're picking yellow. I still sold the car. The equivalent in a DS interaction, made up example, but let's say. Okay, Betty, you know, I'm going to beat you. You know, we're going to scene. We're going to go play. I'm going to let you pick. I'm going to use this flogger or that riding crop. And Betty turns around and goes, no, I want the fucking bullwhip. Now, on one level, like if I'm just looking to get in there tonight, Mm -hmm. okay, you know, whatever, the... The, the frame has been established. I made the sale. I'm going to go and, you know, I'm going to to wail on Betty for a little while and she's going to cry and that's all I cared about. But to me, in a longer term, allowing that third option to let her gain back even the illusion of the control of that would be counterproductive. I think that's really going to depend on how you personally fetishize DS. And it was interesting because it just it occurred to me as you were bringing that up. I liked the idea of even if they picked an option that I was somehow steering their actions and I would see that as another opportunity to steer their actions. And it's the steering the actions part that I find hot that actually, you know, it's, it's the, the sort of manipulative aspect to it, if you will. And I know that sounds a, maybe a little bit more insidious than I intended to. Um, or, or not as insidious as, it as the truth is. is. <laughs> but I, I think in, in, in your case, it sounds like the, the end result, the actual submission is the goal. And it's sort of a, a you know, is it the, the journey or the destination kind of thing that where, where which is the part that you find rewarding? I, I, I'm, I'm, to me, when I think about it, the danger lies in, in how long I'm playing the game for, right? Now, because you want it to side, get to a certain side, point. I walk in there and the first thing that happens is Betty, you know, turns to her friend and she's like, oh, it's that fucking soul hunter dude. He's never going to lay a hand on me, you know. By the end of the night, what I'm beating her with has nothing to do with whether or not I walk away from that thing uh-huh. fucking laughing my ass off, you know, because I I did win the battle I cared about, but something in me on some level goes, no, no, yellow wasn't on the fucking table. Well, you know, I said red or I said green, and that's... I think that's actually really a kind of neat distinction too. Is, is that it sounds like what you're saying is that the you, you're trying to bring this to you're trying to bring this person to a state that is beneficial to you. It is the end result that you're looking for. Yeah. You're looking for, and where I think for me, uh, just the kind of things that I'm into, 
I do very much enjoy the psychological warfare. Not that you don't, but it's, no, it's no, but the, the psychological thing, the warfare thing, is the reward rather talking, than the... I'm thinking about it, about you, what I know about you is that you're definitely thinking about it more ahead than I am, right? So you're consciously choosing red or green, knowing that that might force option three and all those work for you. Mm -hmm. At this point in my understanding of all this... <laughs> I didn't pick red or green as a tactic. Mm -hmm. I picked red or green because that's what I'm willing to do. You know what I mean? Like, like red or green are what I'm in the mood for. So, but if, if I went into it knowing, you know, if I walked in that room knowing that my goal was okay. to get Betty bent over the thing and, and asking me to hit her harder, regardless of methodology, then I would be perfectly comfortable walking up and going, if I said to myself, I'm going to say red, I'm going to say green, she's going to go yellow. But even then, I would feel like I had been setting up a disadvantage if then what I'm thinking about is three months from now, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm going to collar, I want to collar her. I want, like, I now, like, I would have to then the next morning go, you know, you know, I, I, I set no, you yellow. up anyway. <laughs> You know, or, yeah, you know, like, I would have to, I would feel almost compelled to circle back and let her know that you didn't actually win what you thought you did. Okay. And because I think also another walk, and that's a beautiful moment. Yeah. But, but you know, what, what James was talking about, I think, for me also, the beauty of it is, is setting it up. You know, it's, yeah. it's a card trick. You fix the deck. You let them choose the card. They think they've chosen the card at random. It's not random. You slip that card on the top. They never saw it. And and that's the beauty of it because then it doesn't matter what they choose. And I think by not doing that, what you've done is you've limited your own choices for what the outcome is. If you've actually if you actually wanted green or or red and they chose yellow and you're like, oh, I'm disappointed. I really didn't put that out there. I right. wasn't enough. Then, then you've kind of what set I'm doing. It up. I'm not playing. I'm not using the mm -hmm. tools. I'm just expressing a straight preference instead of playing, instead of working with the the. the and that that's probably that might be okay. But then judging the success or failure by, by the by the idea of whether it was a good tactic when I wasn't using a tactic is where the problem comes in. Right? Also, you know, an interesting kind of thought that just, just keeps kind of coming up to me is that, you know, we were talking about different tools for different purposes. Right. If your purpose is to achieve red or green, you need to set frames, whatever, that, that ultimately leads right, in right, that right. that option, and then you have to kind of go into, go into your next frame. If uh, they chose yellow instead of red or green, but your ultimate goal was to prevent them from picking purple, then it's a win. So it really, I guess, would sort of depend on the context of it. And I tend to think of these things as it's less about me. I have a, a very specific thing in my mind. Uh, and that I'm, I'm trying to get this very granular kind of shade of something. It's more about taking an option away from them or them taking an action that I don't want. Right. Uh, but it, but if you get in a situation where you want red or green, uh, I was just thinking that you, there are there are ways to continue to control the frame. Then I'll take yellow. No, it's not good enough. And just you can just keep going with no, it. No, sure, and right. It down. And and actually, our you know she comes up in in every every episode. Our our favorite our favorite boogeyman. You know, you've got the, I'm thinking of the classic Cersei story, right? <laughs> you know, I'll use 
anything on the table, right? And here's the the story real short for anyone who hasn't heard it before, right? So as as the classic mythology goes, and it may not even be the way it happened at the time, but you know, so so sub A is uh, in negotiation, as she calls it, and that's a lie because negotiation implies someone else has an opportunity to win and they don't. So, <laughs> you know, so there's the illusion of a negotiation happening, and and Cersei weighs, you know, she has her bag with her stuff in it, she spreads it out on the table. And says to the sub that, you know, if we decide to seem together, these are the things I'll be using on you. And on the table are rope, flogger, candles, wax, you know, all the normal good stuff. So the sub looks at the table and says, I can handle that. Sure, hook me up. And then she reaches down and grabs the plastic bag the rope was in and proceeds <laughs> to cut off their air for 45 seconds. <laughs> And what I love about that is that whereas on a on a on a instant reflexive level, I wouldn't I would probably go out of my way to explain the possibilities of that plastic bag in insane detail and force someone to agree to it anyway. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I'm trying to get across. Like that's what I want. Whereas the things she's showing, if there's a frame involved, it's you haven't thought of everything I've thought of. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you you might think you know, but I'm smarter. I'm a step ahead. And, and, and there's no fucked. deceit or sleight of hand. No, not it at all. It was all on the table. That's what they chose. They right. put their hands said, I can handle this. Well, but but I, I, I've seen her do it enough to kind of get the feeling that the kick is not the plastic bag right it's it's that they it's whatever it's it was watching, that I outsmarted watching them you. choose yes, their I, own doom right yeah. i outsmarted you absolutely well, it's sort of the the moment from the crime drama where the, the you know the 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 evil genius peels the mask back and you realize he's been pulling the strings all along well you know that the image i have and she won't appreciate this and so if i don't appear in the next episode we know what happened uh, i'm in a small room in the basement of a house in a city i won't name um but there's a classic, well, it's not classic, but I, it stuck with me. Did anybody remember The Wizard of Age? you remember The Wizard of Age? Yes. So on occasion, I, my image of, of Cersei is as the jailer in The Wizard of Age. Because here's this dude hanging from the wall, and he's, he's spreading the Y <laughs> with his wrists in chains. And the, the guard comes in and goes, you know, good news the king cut your sentence in half. And the guy's like, awesome. And panel three is this dude hanging from one arm <laughs> as the jailer walks away with a pair of bolt cutters. And I could absolutely see Cersei with some dude strung up in her basement. And he would go, you know, I beg of you, you know, cut cut this punishment. You know, and she'd be like, how about by half? And he'd be like, Yes. And, you know, then he'd be hanging from like one testicle, you know, right. and it would, just, <laughs> and she'd be like, there you go. <laughs> um, he, going back to one of the examples that you brought up earlier, Soul Hunter, and, and I see the, the beauty of the purity of, of that example as a symbol, <clears throat> the, the choosing of the toys you offered two, they chose the third one. Yeah, in the long run, you do win, but 
essentially that wasn't what you offered that's what they chose and you're at a fork at that point and and this is your opportunity to assert your frame that you've already established by by laying the stuff out and, and offering the choice to begin with is it going to be the red one or the green one i want the yellow one that's not available at this point right but i want but i want not today this is what you've got right so yeah it becomes a tug of war but but we're talking about a ds structure now we're talking about you taking the control if if that's what you want i mean you're you the whole thing has already brought you to that point that that fork so play your strong card right there well i I also wonder if 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 it isn't a matter of timing like now that we say it, and I, I can't help but, but feel it's a weakness in me to not be able to turn yellow to my advantage, right? To just have to <laughs> shut it down. And now I'm thinking about it and I'm going, I could also be really amused by beating them so unmercifully with whatever the yellow thing is and then asking them, making them beg me to switch to red or green. Like, I could go with that. Like, I'd feel like that was a win, you know? But for that little time in the middle, I got to tell you, I would just feel like I'd been beat, you know? Yeah, I I, I once ran a, a DS relationship purely on, and it was part of her fetish also was manipulation, the, sort of the moment of, you know, the blinders come off and everything was different, the kind of mind fuck sort of aspect to it. And I ran this DS relationship very much on those types of things, sort of slowly taking away options, where I think she always sort of felt like she was winning the little battle but losing the, the war in these kind of greater struggles because I was just continually shutting down one option or I was always able to get what I wanted in the end without no matter how much resistance she put up, no matter how much she dug in her heels and said, I, it has to be this way. Um, and that's very different than your standard, you know, normally you just don't put up with it, the digging in the heels. And I was just curious if either of you have ever tried to uh, run a DS relationship like that and what you thought of the kind of contrast. Cause ultimately what I found was it, something that comes very naturally to me, but it was still very hard to do. It took a lot of effort because your mind is constantly racing to... It is, yeah. I don't know if I've got the uh, the stamina or, or that much patience. And I've got a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. But to, to continually be doing that, that tug of war, um, actually, I feel is a, is a drain on, on my energies that I could better use focused elsewhere. Okay. something else on another part of the relationship even but i don't necessarily want to have to do that dance all the time it, it'll come up once in a while sure but if, if that's the nature of it, it it's too um uh, what is it Catherine hepburn and what's his name just you know it's tracy something tracy, spencer tracy Catherine hepburn oh, sure. yeah it's it's too much of, of that kind of Back and forth dynamic, which is entertaining for a while, but I think in the long run it poops me out. I would duration of the relation, like if I don't tend to wind up, well, I mean, I certainly have before, but as a general rule, relationships won't last incredibly long with me, DS or otherwise, that they go on for a while and then I just have a short attention span around those kind of things. If you're looking at a completely long term situation, obviously that, t- that would become incredibly exhausting. 
Right. So uh, like a weekend, a, a weekend play partner at at some I, kind of. How about six I was I was thinking about it, and I was going, you know, I I probably, I'm probably more likely to run. I'm I. I'm positive I've run pursuits that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. But but there was definitely but that was all. Once that's all about getting my foot in the door. You once, know? It's get, once you realize that this is going to become a permit. Yeah, it's very beachhead and then expanding the invasion kind okay. of idea, you okay. know. So so I'm I'm okay with that where, you know, because you go from, you know, I don't necessarily know that I have any intention of talking to you to, you know, I'm spending a lot of time with you. And mm-hmm. then I'm, I'm okay with going, you know, hey, and I cannot help myself but go. <laughs> Well, it's you know, <laughs> remember when you hated me, you know, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I've always kind of taken the approach of it doesn't really matter as long as I can get what I want in the moment. Oh, and I, I totally but, agree. It, but that's also when you're look. I'm looking at a much shorter duration than, you know, I mean, right. you, you guys have, have maintained DS relationships that lasted for years and years. Well, and I, I definitely I, w- I want to be real clear that when I when I say, like, I don't think I could do that or I don't do that or I would feel like I was like, that's all really just about my my particular interlocking set of fetishes and, okay. and like desires right so like i i have obviously have, you know have watched with much amusement as highly manipulative people have <laughs> totally fucked with people in, in ways that, that, <laughs> that wouldn't wouldn't have worked to satisfy my and I feel bad about that because they seem like they're having a fantastic time, and I like I, I really like it, I, like in the abstract. But then when it actually comes to it, I'm like I, I can't like give up. I, I I almost feel like I I have a hard time being flexible enough to really work in a manipulative, mm-hmm. in a deliberately manipulative <coughs> way for in the long term. Sure, you know. And, and, I, now and I don't I know that I find that a long virtue, enough situation. You know I don't I mean? know if I, just, I could either, and it's very second nature to me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, but well, I know that, you know, in a normal, if I'm in a situation with something that's lasting six months, that, that I have the stamina to keep that up. If it was going to be a year, two years, three years, and you're just looking at years and years of psychological warfare, I could see that getting pretty draining. In the phase of pursuit, it's very engaging, actually. It's... Mm-hmm. it's you know, a fun challenge. It's an interesting way to get to know somebody, um, and and it can definitely add a lot of color to the potential of that relationship to to have that. But then there's got to be a certain point where it settles down, where the game is over. Well, where where the the tug of war part of the game is over, and yeah, you enter a new part of the game. Yeah, I think I think once the once the actual and we're obviously a little away from the core topic, but once the actual power dynamic is established, once mm-hmm. like the frame is sufficiently heavily set, then I'm all for, you know, good news, you know, tonight <laughs> or for this weekend, you know, you can, you know, pick X, X you know, go, go into the toy chest and pick whatever it is you're interested in, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, is either a nice thing or a horrible burden to lay on someone that's going to go very, very badly for them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I, I'm okay with that once it's not threatening, mm-hmm. in my mind, threatening the, the, the stability of the core 
okay. the, the, the core frame. Yeah, that was an interesting thing when I did that sort of experiment of running it purely on manipulation. Cause, and I, I kind of consciously went into it to see if I could, without forming a very rigid and well-defined structure with someone, to see if, if, if I can get what I want from this person in the moment using whatever tools are there at my disposal, to see how long I can maintain that. And ultimately, the, you know, it's interesting. I was just thinking about that you guys have had, like I said, DS relationships that have gone on many years where I've always kind of, I'm on to the next thing. I get bored quickly and um, just don't form, tend to form super long-term attach, attachments. Uh, at about six months, I was kind of done with it. And now that I think about it, that probably at that point I should have switched to a more... <laughs> Well, these exhausted. are the rules. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> Break them. There's there's a punishment, and you know should have, you know. Well, but it's interesting that that I mean that that was was certainly an option for you, and <laughs> nothing about being manipulative closed the door to being able to transition no. when you were interested. Or being a mental um, patient closed the door, but and and you know speaking of going into a relationship purely with the idea of seeing how far manipulation can get you, allow me to once again say how nice it is to have you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> And, and this is why we love you. <laughs> I, I dig that. So we really only covered, um, you know, we talked a little bit about trance states because trance is a term that comes up in this topic a lot. And, and frame, I think, is another term that, you know, anybody who's ever cracked open an NLP book starts throwing the frame around, the, the, the term around. And, and, you know, being acting all special at parties. Um, so do you, do you think, obviously we can't cover the any of this exhaustively in, in this podcast. We can't go too deep into it, but is there anything else in this sort of broad sort? There, to me, they're, they're almost the poster children for, you know, trance is kind of the poster child for, for the hypnotic side and frame control is sort of the, the core poster child for the NLP um, range of technologies or we're missing any concept that might give people a real idea of where they might want to start doing some research on this on their own if they're, if they're I, oh you're just looking for sources well, for I'm research. just thinking no not, not really a source but like is is there something we, I think we've given people you know somebody hearing what we said about trans might go wow I'm really digging that I want to go maybe start playing with it and the people who are hearing about the frame stuff might be like, wow, you know, I, I, I'm not doing enough to do that in my relationship or I want to do more of it. So is there another big sort of poster child topic you want to? Well, obviously, there's the whole realm of just plain old erotic hypnosis, uh, positive and negative hallucination, using having people hallucinate punishments that aren't there. Things like that have a tremendous array of tools for mind fucking and creating fear scenarios of. Uh, and also consistent reminders that someone might be transgressing on a behavior. Uh, every time they do it, they have some sort of hideous hallucination that's kind of fun to watch. Um, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, another area. I think there's a lot of shades in between the sort of three areas. What I would suggest to anyone who's interested in using any type of NLP or hypnosis, they're very interrelated, don't focus in on just one area. Play with all of it. Play with the, uh, play with the trance, play with the reframing, play with the more clinical aspect of hypnosis of getting people around hypnosis uh, and when you start to see how they all blend together I think a whole range of tools and possibilities become open to you that that you might not have known but I think that the shortcoming that most people have is they're like oh I can make someone have a positive hallucination I can make someone have an orgasm on a command and that's sort of where they leave it 
or they learn how to assert a frame, and that's where they leave it. Run the gamut, play with it all, and I think you'll find a lot of interesting stuff to work with. And I think as you start to read a little bit more on each one, you'll start to find lots more information and tools that sort of link all those three concepts together very clearly to you and becomes a, a, a spectrum of, of things rather than a couple of separate subjects that you can traverse quite easily. You know, I think at the beginning of this <clears throat> podcast, Soul Hunter, you said an interesting thing about how um, hypnosis and, and NLP used in, in a scene context is kind of like the new whip technology. Um, so, you know, this, this can be the new edge play on a lot of levels. And if you're just doing it for um, erotic um, orgasm on command or extended orgasms or, or things like that, you don't really, you're not, you're not going to any depth where people can get into trouble. So like any other um, type of play, I guess the, the same caveats apply know who you're playing with, uh, have an understanding of their stability and their reaction because <clears throat> you're playing with somebody's mind and although there's a great many things that you can do, there's also a few ways that you can get into trouble. So um, have have a, you know, develop some kind of knowledge base and, and skill set. Um, it's, it's not... If, if you're going to go beyond casual play, you need more than casual knowledge for this. Um, and, and definitely have a couple of tools to be able to handle um, situations where things may go wrong. So don't, don't mess with people's memories. That's, that's like one thing. Don't mess with people who have um, either, either emotional traumas that are, that are deep set and linked to some stuff. Because um, you can set these off inadvertently and then you've got to deal with that. So well, it, I think it, if you're well grounded, you can kind of get into those areas. But most most people, yes, and some people might panic, and and just knowing enough not to panic is a is a is a good thing to have under your belt. So you know, do some reading. Every every book that you pick up is going to identify hypnosis differently. Is going to identify trance differently. This is an, uh, a a debate that's gone on for decades, if not centuries. So there's there's no real definitive science that says you know trance is this and that is it that's definitive and there's no other way of looking at it it, it just isn't there so depending you know get get as many different materials books take courses if you want and um, and and approach it with respect because this this is um, potentially deep-reaching stuff. And I also think, in line with that, not only being able to navigate your way through the potential pitfalls that can come up, the more versed you are in it, the better the results you'll get from it. Absolutely. That, it, you know, the more training you get, uh, not all the, you know, it's, it can be hard to find, particularly around DS and, S and uh, hypnosis, uh, a lot of subject-specific material. But if you can find, you know, make sure you've looked at that, make sure you've looked at, you know, other sorts of related materials. Uh, the more you've researched it, the better the results you're going to get. And okay. get out there and practice it, because even if you if you have the knowledge and the research, um, being able to actually run it is a great experience. And and 
this is the kind of thing where where smoothness really makes your technique a lot stronger i mean you think florentine flogging is hard to coordinate with you know the smooth turn of both wrists you have to have a smooth turn of your phrases you have to be able to link things it's got to make sense it's got to not jar somebody out of state so um, practicing a lot running it through a lot goes a long way in in developing your skills I, yeah i mean just to, to follow up on the practice thing i think whether you can practice this with sort of the person you're doing it on you know like like if you're a dom whether you can if you're learning hypnosis whether you can practice it with your your sub as until you get smooth is going to depend on what it is you're trying to accomplish in the long term right a lot of subs have a big hypno hypno fetish or can sort of be be convinced that there might be bonuses and especially in a long-term relationship they don't mind you you know trying it you're learning it together you're getting better at it she's kind of digging it you you know the mistakes are are worth a chuckle and the good stuff's the good stuff and that works out really well <clears throat> the only time i would caution not really discussing this stuff or practicing this with your the target the eventual target of the skill set is if what you're attempting to convey later is the illusion of all power and all knowing or just that the mind fuck that you're setting up. Yeah, you know, but that idea that, you know, I'm not really sure when or why, but it's it's become almost impossible for me to turn him down on it. You know, a, a peek behind the curtain at the beginning when you're fumbling around can really go a long way towards ruining that idea of omnipotence if that's, totally. if that's your goal. I'm and it's also, not always your goal, but if it is, then... I've also been in that scenario before, in that moment when you suddenly break out this new kind of thing to someone and create this sort of, I mean, almost omnipotent kind of experience where it seems like to, to the subject, um, that moment of like surprise of like, did you know this all along? That kind of wondering is pure gold to just see that look of right, the, right. Uh, on someone's face. So if you can sort of just drop it on someone as a bomb, that can be a really fun mind fuck in and of itself. Um, I totally hear what you're saying, Soul Hunter. And, and I think, I think that you can practice the technique of delivering suggestions with other suggestions with whoever your target is. Just don't tip your hand of whatever the intention of your big project is going to be. If you're saving that up and you're, you're you know, working on scripts or ideas on, on, on how you're going to finalize the delivery of, of those suggestions, by all means, keep those you know, to yourself until you're ready to deliver those and you know deliver that payload but up until then there's a lot of other things that you can do and if you only have that one person to, to do it with <clears throat> the benefit is is that not only do you get better because you're training at the tool but your subject gets better because they're being conditioned to be able to receive your suggestions in that unique and particular way that you deliver suggestions and actually, that brings me to a, a topic area I want to just insert into the thing. We're not going to go into it at, at any length at all. But what I was when I asked you guys if there was something else that maybe was worth bringing up for someone who wanted to go forward in this, you just reminded me. Um, for anyone who's considering kind of getting into hypnosis and, and framing, and maybe you 
want to practice on your sub, but you want to be able to bring out, you know, the omnipotent bombshell later, um, take a look at, at what, you know, the topic area I loosely group under conversational hypnosis, as opposed to like a more formal mm-hmm. trance induction. And the reason I say that is because if you're, if you're a little cautious and a little discreet, you can practice a whole bunch of, of these techniques without necessarily having to sit someone down in the chair and go, you know, okay, I want you to, you know, breathe deep and we're going to do a trance and we're going to, thus they don't know you're doing it, thus they never know if you've failed or not. And you can practice all day. I absolutely used the world as my laboratory when I was learning this stuff, uh, that I was, became fearless and shameless about trying on everyone from deli clerks to, you know, anyone whose attention I could hold for more than a second just to see, just to give it a try. You know, not that I was necessarily uh, throwing a massive suggestion, but just see if I could induce a little bit of a trance without someone noticing, to see if I could create some sort of responsive feedback that they were suggestible or open to hearing what I had to say. Uh, And you can play with it in situations where people won't necessarily know you're playing with it. And I think when you look at the, the basic schools of hypnosis that are out there, there's formal hypnosis, sit down in a chair, stare at the watch, listen to the sound of my voice. There's conversational hypnosis and covert hypnosis or impromptu hypnosis is a little more uh, Darren Brownish uh, sneaking around on the streets. And and the NLP is also very much a, a conversational thing that's designed to be unnoticed. Right. And I, I think if there's people listening to this podcast who, who truly have a curiosity or an interest to, to dig around a little deeper and, and perhaps start learning some of these skills um just you know keep listening to our our podcasts we're going to be talking more and more about this kind of stuff in the future and uh one of the things that we intend to do is is possibly um set up some kind of um some kind of training or educational program where where we can actually get this kind of thing transmitted yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, obviously we'll, we'll talk about it more in power and practice as it goes. Power and practice always tends to track with, you know, the stuff we're interested in because it's the stuff we're talking to the people around us about. Um, you know, if, if it turns out hypnosis and, and this stuff isn't your gig, um, don't fear. You know, it's not going to be uh, the only thing we, we talk about here. It's, uh, you know, so stick with us and uh when we can tell you more about this secret sort of sort of deal we're, we're putting together we'll we'll let you know as well also if you want you can go to www.championmindskills.com that's that's my blog and there's a few inductions up there and some discussions about hypnosis and hypnotic techniques and uh, you might also find some more information pertaining to uh, upcoming projects as well. James, do you have a do you have a, a product placement you'd like to make? Sure, I'd like to plug uh, www.seductionsirens.com. If you are a female who's interested in seduction, both myself and my partner, that Arden Lee, have uh, maintained blogs that have a lot of stuff with conversational hypnosis and seduction. Now, now, just to to be clear, since we're generally um, you, when you say a female interest in seduction, you mean 
seducing someone else, right? Not if they're interested in being seduced by you. Yeah, no, I got in trouble for that one before. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> yeah, no, this is for women who, who, who would like to learn faster skills for seducing men. And uh, usually if, if you are chasing down the one that got away, if you want to be the, the woman who can make your, your love life happen very quickly, or uh, you're looking to gain back control or you know kind of hold the frame of your current relationship there's a lot of handy information we put out on our blogs and seminars very cool and um i i don't have a, a blog or product to plug at the moment so i'll take this opportunity to say once again you know hypnosis and nlp bring us to the topic of mind fucks and totally screwing with someone's reality so um let's give give flags book a plug so go to woo.com and um Flag wrote uh, The Forked Tongue, which is a fantastic little tome on um, briefly touching on the ethics of, but mostly the, the techniques of, um, totally fucking up someone's worldview. And, um, and it's a, a great book. And if you own a copy, buy another one. And if you don't own any yet, buy two. So, uh, excuse me? Yes, and if you, obviously, if you go to powerandpractice.com, very, there on the front page, there's a link that goes right over to it. And uh, if you're one of those people who have an iPad, uh, keep your eyes on that spot because it has been converted for iPad reading and will be available, one would think, soon in in Apple's uh, store. Thanks to the good folks at Wooloo.com. Very cool. All right, guys. Um, I think we're about set, right? That's That's going to cover what we're covering this time. And uh, we're trying to pump these out every two or three weeks. So check back soon. All right. This is Daddy David saying good night all. And James Archer, thank you both for having me. And thank you all for listening. And uh, screw you people. I'm not saying goodbye. You've been listening to Power in Practice. Join us for more episodes at www.powerinpractice.com.